Welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast that deals with the intricacies of planning worship with and for your faith community. I'm Cynthia Wilson, the Executive Director for Worship Resources and Director of Liturgical Resources for Discipleship Ministries, a general agency of the United Methodist Church located right here in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast has been developed to discuss ways to plan worship experiences using the common lectionary along with acknowledging other special days and events throughout the liturgical year. Our goal is always to assist you in creating corporate worship celebrations that are engaging and relevant and adaptable for your own church setting. However, during these very unprecedented days of social distancing and leading online worship, we've endeavored to provide conversations that share the challenges of producing online worship and finding ways to help congregations stay engaged and feel connected even from a distance. I am so excited to have as my special guest, my colleague, Reverend Dr. Scott Hughes. He is the Executive Director for Congregational Vitality and Intentional Discipleship, and he is the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. Due to the coronavirus, obviously our office building is closed, and the entire Discipleship Ministry staff is working remotely until further notice. So Scott and I are recording this podcast from our homes. And so, welcome, Scott. We're so glad you're with us today. So well, glad we, to be with you. Thank you so much. Why don't we begin by having you tell us a little bit about what you do at Discipleship Ministries, and how has COVID-19 altered or changed your approach to ministry? Yeah, good question. I mean, I, I think the first thing I have to always do is explain my title. <laughs> Right, as I was explaining before, I mean, I, I have this title that even I stumble over when I have to give this in person. It's it's a long title. It does not fit easily on a business card. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it, congregational vitality is something that's very important to the life of uh, the church. It's something that goes back to the, the bishops who um, this goes back a decade or more in terms of congregational vitality. And intentional discipleship is very much what we are about uh, as a whole. Uh, of Discipleship Ministries. Uh, And so what I get to do with that is I have a a team, and my team focuses on uh, congregational vitality and intentional discipleship uh, Mm -hmm. in lots of ways. So as you said, the other title I carry is adults. That includes older adults. Um, We have a team that uh, has someone for youth and children, Mm -hmm. uh, Hispanic, Asian-American ministries, generosity, lay ministries, Right. Um, so many ways in which we think about the congregation and how to make discipleship be intentional right. in what we do. I had one of the first questions I had when someone saw my title was, why do you need that word intentional in there? Mm. I said, well, because too often um, it's happening haphazardly okay, and sometimes not at all. And, and then we've got to maintain, this is probably something we'll come back to again and again during the podcast is being intentional about what it is we're doing and why are we doing it? Why are we doing what we're doing? So that's a little bit about my long title. <laughs> <laughs> Your second question then was, how has that changed during this recent crisis, which is a good one. And I, I think it's really 
a matter of emphasis uh, right now, um, mm -hmm. emphasis in terms of um, how do we help resource churches to resource families mm -hmm. to do faith formation. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's something that's really been, I don't know if passion's the right word, but something that I've been interested in at least is, is how do churches um, shift from being the place people come to for religious services and shift to how do we help faith formation happen across generations um, and in families, with families as a central part of um, forming the faith. Um, and so uh, it, it, this crisis has enabled that and forced that in some ways, and it has forced churches to utilize online platforms that perhaps before they were apprehensive about, uh, to say the least, right? <laughs> now we can't no longer be apprehensive. We are forced into it. Um, and I appreciate those who've had the courage to do that, right? Because I, I know that's scary and we fumble through it and it doesn't always work and technology is great when it works and terrible when it mm -hmm. doesn't. Yes. Um, and so um, we're forced into a world that perhaps we probably should have been doing some of, some of this already. So I think that's the biggest way in this, this has shifted is just emphasis. Right. I totally agree with you. We should have probably been here years ago, but we're here now, right? We are here now, whether we want to be or not. That's right. So Scott, intrinsically, um, worshipers tend to gravitate toward those with similar interests, for instance, mm. those who sing gravitate toward the choir. Uh, those who want to be in small groups move into Sunday school classes or Bible study groups. I'd be interested to know how you think these groups are being impacted by these pivotal times, especially as it relates to online worship. What, what are you learning here? Yeah, that's a big question. Uh, and I would say what we're learning is a lot, um, good and bad. Um, I saw a statistic from UMCOM earlier in the week of a survey they had done that suggested up to 42% of small groups have stopped meeting. Mm. Stopped. Wow. And then that saddened me, uh, right? Yeah. Because we, you know, uh, we, we hear the phrases, right? Physical distancing, social distancing, et cetera. Mm -hmm. and, and probably like you, Cynthia, I'm, I'm for physical distancing, mm -hmm. um, social distancing, not so much. Right. Um, so now's the time we need to be more social, right? I mean, right. I, I crave opportunities like this now to, to see uh, faces like, like yours. Uh, and, and to, so now's the time we need to, to be figuring out how do we be social? How do we be connected? Mm -hmm. Right. Cause that's ultimately what the church is about. Yeah. Relationships, right. That's, that's the gift we have as the church is helping to develop foster grow relationships with God mm -hmm. and with the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And technology can um, inform that. Right. And can help us do that. And we're in this new phase when uh, one of the things I, I find joy in, and, and this probably shows what a nerd I am on Sunday mornings, I'm hopping from church to church. Right. I get to see all my friends preach now that I never got to see <laughs> preach. Right. And so, yeah. uh, and I, and I appreciate how, each is trying to do contextual ministry, right. right? Some are doing this in their churches, right? To show the, the, the church, right? To show the space mm -hmm. in which we encounter God. Others are modeling physical distancing and in recording things from their homes, right? And we see the church doing this in various ways. 
Um, I, I've kind of gone down a track, and I think I forgot your question. So you may oh. have to <laughs> <laughs> the, your question so I can get back on focus. Here. Oh, absolutely. So these uh, small group interests uh, bring together specific kinds of uh, in interest folks who are interested in specific areas. And those groups tend to uh, form and really uh, find life, life-giving experiences amongst like minds. Uh, and I'm just wondering uh, with us being uh, distanced from each other, how you think these groups might be impacted. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and let me just add to that, um, I know that small group building is uh, an intricate part of uh, building a congregation and mm -hmm. congregational life itself. So they, they play a role, I think, in strengthening and supporting and building uh, worshiping communities. So mm -hmm. in your estimation, how, how is that process of small group gatherings being impacted by this transitional period? where we are having to be separate and apart from each other. Yeah, there's a lot there. So I think one of the ways I can speak personally to this is how my own group, small group, has been impacted with my church. Mm -hmm. And back in early March, late February, we were discussing, all right, what's our next study, right? I think a lot, a lot of small groups go through that question. What are we going to study? Mm -hmm. um, and then now, uh, we've changed, we've shifted. And a lot of that is because what we need now is relationships. And so we do game nights on our small group time, right? To, to continue to foster relationships. Online groups? Online, yeah. We, oh. we play games. We've played Boggle. We've played um, Taboo. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to do a Jeopardy coming up with PowerPoint. You can make Jeopardy. And um, we have fun with that, right? And you know, we had thought a few times about, well, maybe we need to get into a study and some of our group are really stressed out. I mean, they're yeah. really stressed yeah. and because of job concerns, uh, you know, children concerns. And they made the comment, we, this is the only time we stop. Mm. This is the only, we, we're constantly working and mm. getting paid less and in constant fear, we're going to lose our jobs. Mm. We, then we're dealing with children. They have little kids. Mm. We, we, just, we appreciate the break. And mm -hmm. so we've resisted the let's get into the content part, which is important, right? I mean, I can talk a lot about that, but I think right now is the time to let's just let's just be with each other. Let's mm -hmm. how is it with your soul, right? And and yeah. and inject into that some fun, mm -hmm. right? Because we're not having enough joy, right? Let's let's have some joy with each other, mm -hmm. and so that's been meaningful to people. And and there are there are, we could talk about this too if we if you want to get into it. There are lots of ways we can do content using online digital, I'm, I'm all for that as well. Um, and there, there's a time for everything, right? And, and right now I would say is a time for relationship building. Um, and, and if your group is there and ready to move into content, great, um, do that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but um, be mindful of what people are needing at the moment. That's a, that's a great insight, um, Scott. I think, I think that um, folks need to hear and get, be given permission uh, mm -hmm. to move away from the what has been the norm uh, and really to begin to establish and give themselves and their uh, community partners the opportunity to really, I think of the hymn and are we yet alive to see each mm -hmm. other's face, right? Yeah, how pertinent. I think we, we meet, but do we really see each other, right? Uh, and do we really, really feel each other's pain? Um, I think the hymn writer was onto something 
there. Um, so, as you know, um, I'm a part of our dynamic worship team. I'm working with two of the most amazing people across the church, um, Dr. Diane Sanchez Bouchong and Dr. Derek Weber. Uh, and as a team, although we work from three very different primary streams, preaching and music and lit liturgy, <clears throat> our primary goal is to offer um, critical interpretation of bibl biblical texts that are found in the lectionary passages from which many of our clergy preach. So in other words, <clears throat> we seek to bring these three streams together in order to break open the scriptures in smaller chunks for the sake of clarity, right? And sometimes we do this through sermon series that can extend anywhere from three to five weeks, sometimes more and sometimes less. But again, the goal is to provide pastors and worship planners, music ministries, ideas for themes and symbols and images and texts that create a cohesive and interactive embodied approach to mm -hmm. worship planning. Mm -hmm. Would you say, and I know that's a mouthful, but um, I'm thinking again about these persons involved in these intricate, intimate groups. Mm -hmm. um, and we try to envision those persons in our process of creating an experience of worship. Uh, when you think about what I've said in terms of our work, would this process be helpful to what you do at all, would you say? And if so, how? <clears throat> yeah, very much so. So first, let me back up and say, yes, you do have a very talented team, though I think I work with an even more talented team, but we can debate that. That's what ah, debate, right? That's uh, another, yeah, just that's in another podcast. That's right. Yeah, just for fun. <laughs> right. Um, I really want to pick up on the words interactive and embodied, because um, I, I think you're right. I think when y'all um, are intentional about worship plan, that's one of the things I really appreciate is that worship is participatory, it's interactive, it's embodied. And especially during this time, um, as I said, I look at lots of different uh, online worship services. And one of the things I, I'm concerned with maybe is participation and interactivity, right? Okay. Worship is supposed to be an embodied activity. And I'm sure that's something y'all are concerned with as well. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate the holistic way that y'all look at worship. And I think that helps um, maintain this wonderful balance between what happens in worship and what happens in, I'll call, faith-forming communities. Mm -hmm. That's a small group, family, et cetera. Right? Mm -hmm. Th those should... Uh, go hand in hand, that what we experience in worship should spill out into how we, how our families live, how we minister to one another in our families. Mm -hmm. It should in, help inform what's happening in our small groups so that we're digesting, uh, reflecting, and beginning to embody what's happening, the God we encounter in worship, right? That this is, this community, this smaller in, intimate community helps us to reflect and help us to live into mm. what it is we're called to from the God we encounter and worship. So I appreciate the way that y'all are intentional about creating this holistic worship where music, preaching, liturgy um, helps us to encounter God. And then my hope would be that we're resourcing in a way to help church communities 
uh, to embody that in everyday life, that once we leave worship, we are changed, we are different, and we go in mission, we mm-hmm. serve, and then we come back the next week uh, in celebration of what God has done and mm-hmm. look forward to what God is going to do again. Mm-hmm. And it's those groups, those, those micro groups um, that help us mm-hmm. to, to really begin to live into this in ways that challenge us, in ways mm-hmm. that support us, that nurture us when we're down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, bringing it back to small groups. I mean, that's one of the challenges, again, in my small group we're facing is people are experiencing job loss, um, you know, child issues, and, you know, the desire is we want to go help. We want to go, you know, go to their house and do this and do that. And we can't do that. Mm-hmm. Right? We have somebody in our house who's an essential worker. So we, you know, we have this fear that if we have this, you know, we want to spread it, <laughs> do no harm. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. So, you know, there's things we want to be doing that we can that makes this so much harder because we can't do yeah. that, which we know we're called to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Embody love. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's, it's it's tragic, um, but we're going to continue to to work through it and find ways where we can do good and do no harm at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that gets at your your question. It yeah, was a good oh, one. absolutely, absolutely, Scott. We um we we found some uh, startling statistics. Well, maybe not so startling, but some interesting stats around this online worship phenomenon now, mm. uh, and how it is that churches that are really being um, intentional about staying connected uh, as a congregation, what we have discovered is that they are experiencing more um, visitation from non-members, persons who are not actually a part of their congregations. So how is it that maybe the small group um, idea might in, impact um, the 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 lives, I mean, I'm not sure of all of the ways that congregations are able to track the visitors, but I know that there are some really creative ways of doing that. Um, Do you think about any any particular ideas around um, reaching out to those persons who are perhaps uh, listening to and experiencing uh, worship with the congregation um, for, for, for the first time? And um, I'm not really sure that it's a good idea to try to proselytize, but there really are nuns and deep church folk coming to be a part of those celebrations online. Um, What would you say about ways that we might uh, introduce them into these smaller intimate settings? Or does that make any sense for the work that you do? Yeah, very much so. It's such an interesting phenomenon. I know I've talked, you know, anecdotally, anecdotally, is that a better word? Um, with, with my own uh, pastor friends, and that's certainly, they're, they agree with that, right? That they're finding um, more people are, at least by the measures that, and that they can track, seem to be uh, part of their worship experience. Uh, I know a particular, one of the services I watched this past Sunday you know, because people can do the Facebook live parties, right? Where you host people mm-hmm. that they're finding family in other countries joining them to watch, uh, which is really interesting, right? We've, we've definitely lowered the barrier um, to entry in terms of worship, mm-hmm. right? We don't even have to get out of our pajamas <laughs> and we can go all around the world and watch worship. 
Um, and, and I've seen some churches be a little more intentional and better at this. And then this isn't a judgment because I know this is hard and people are figuring it out. So I don't want to cast judgment on anyone if, if you're not quite there where this church is of mm-hmm. being able to, you know, say, Hey, you know, if you're new, you know, go here and, and enter this contact information. And I know they're getting people to do that, right. Of finding ways to capture new visitor information. Mm-hmm. Um, but then being intentional about uh, uh, another church, they're starting new groups right now, right? Mm-hmm. There are new groups that of people who are just meeting for the first time online, right? Mm-hmm. But they're being intentional about creating small group experiences, which I think is fascinating. And, and if, if, if you want to take it even a step further, mm-hmm. is, is how are we thinking about perhaps might this launch new faith communities Mm-hmm. Right. As we find out there are people in other countries joining us, how do we <laughs> not just say, keep worshiping with us? Right. <laughs> how do we help empower them? Mm-hmm. You know, the other third part of our team, right? The community engagement path one team. How do we help partner with them and say, start a new faith community in London or wherever you find yourself, as opposed to just simply have simply maybe a wrong word here, but simply having a, virtual or digital connection with us mm-hmm. how do we empower people where they're at to to have the best of both worlds right of the the digital world and the, and the technology that it enables but also those in-person relationships that can help nurture and support us right you know i mean it's it's great to have these virtual connections but when we're in a time of need we need that physical presence of someone who can physically do things for us mm-hmm. so how do we think about that and help empower people to to experience community at its best mm-hmm. right going forward mm-hmm. um, once again I, i've pontificated and not sure if i'm still on on question or not <laughs> <laughs> find myself going down rabbit trails these days so i want to make sure i'm on your question no no you're i think our listeners are, are interested in everything that you're saying, I believe. So thank you for, for every rabbit hole. <laughs> but yes, you are, you are in fact addressing those, the questions that we are interested in, in, in having you answer. Um, I'm assuming that congregational vitality creates resources the way that we do. Um, so if our listening audience uh, wanted to really go deeper in terms of some of what you have said, where might they find information around congregational vitality? And particularly, I, I'm, really, I'm really intrigued with this idea of being able to experience social um, events online. And I like the fact that you have said family more than one time, mm-hmm. um, because this is also a precious time for us to engage in uh, formation in various ways as families, which is not necessarily the norm uh, per se. So um, where might our listeners be, re- how might they be resourced uh, for understanding at a, a greater level congregational vitality? Yeah, good question. So I'm going to take a rabbit trail first, since you mentioned families. Um, and I, I won't give a, a long history lesson, but for the vast majority of Christianity, mm-hmm. faith formation happened in families, mm. right? And then with the rise of seminaries and universities, mm. faith formation got professionalized and into clergy. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and that's really been an unfortunate shift, right? That um, families, uh, you know, you, this goes back Old Testament, right? I mean, you you, you think of uh, the way we, we, in Deuteronomy, they talked about uh, talking about this with your families, right? The Passover event, right? Mm. The stories. This was, so now that we're forced to be with families, <laughs> or not, right? We're stuck with them physically in some ways. Uh, how do we form the faith of those we're with now? Yes. I think becomes so so key and a good thing. Like that's yeah. good. anyway. I, I could go on the history of education. That's not why you have me here. Um, so on our website, <laughs> if you hover over equipping leaders, you'll see live stage, and there are uh, children, youth, and young adults, adults, older adults. There's also a teaching area under program area. Um, all these are ways you can find more information. Uh, to plug, one of the things I recently did was a webinar on uh, using digital technologies for faith formation. We went over platforms you can use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we went over games or not, but uh, yeah, you can just Google online games, and there, there's a lot of games you can play. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some cost you some money, a little bit, not much, but cost some money. Mm-hmm. Some are free. Like I said, the boggle that we've done, uh, the taboo. I mean, there's all kind of games you can create, you can make nice. uh, that are so much fun when we need fun. Nice. I mean, that, maybe that's just me. I mean, I, I shouldn't impart that to others, but I no, know you're in good company. <laughs> okay, good. Right. I mean, and my, my wife likes the competition of it. Right. Ah. I mean, she wants to win. I mean, there's, there's her, another guy in a group and they compete each time, which is almost like which one of them will win. The rest of us are just having fun. Ah. <laughs> Well, uh, nothing like laughter. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, you know, it goes back to knowing your, your group, right. And knowing what they need, right. They need a little comp- fun, comp- healthy competition. They yeah. need some joy, some laughter. Yeah. Um, and, and there'll be time to get into content, right. And when we sure. get there, we'll get there. And I think we'll mm-hmm. get there and be enabled to have deeper conversations. Uh, perhaps even the conversations we need to have the most right now in our society are the polarizing conversations. Yes. Right. I mean, you, one of your earlier question, you mentioned uh, like-minded folks. I mean, what saddens me, uh, one of the things that saddens me about our culture is how polarized we are. And we're not talking enough across unlike-minded people. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's in order to do that work, you first have to do the relationship work. That's right. Right. So, because I know there's disagreements among us. We've had some of that, discussion already, but the more we can build relationships, the more we can have those deeper conversations in a healthy way and respectful way because we've played together, right? And there's a whole theory about playing together and how much that builds relationships. And um, trust, and trust, right? Absolutely. That's the foundation. Creating a safe space for those hard, um, courageous conversations, right? We can go down that path too. Yeah. Yeah. There's not enough trust, right? And we we see that in our system now, especially our political system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, we see that with the protesters. We see it with, in a lot of ways, the lack of trust. Mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. again, going back to one of our original questions, that that's a gift the church has is relationships where we can build yes. real community with one another, trusting, vulnerable, intimate, loving community. Yeah. Um, so let, let hopefully we can be a part of helping churches do that. Amen. So I want to share another stat with you. Oh yeah. Um, another another piece that we dis- we have discovered in speaking to practitioners um, is that <clears throat> persons who are visiting uh, congregations online for the first time tend to be givers. Mm. Um, 
But the interesting thing is that when they give, they give to missional emphasis. Um, so it's not right. necessarily an offering to the maintenance of the church, but it's, right. a, it's a gift to something that the church is doing that really is in line with missions and thinking of others. Um, I, I think that's an interesting statistic. The people are looking for ways that they can be a part of the church's um, great commission. I, I think that's fascinating, don't you? I do. I, and um, I think I saw some 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 work on this probably a, a long time ago. I can't remember how long ago. I guess I'm an old guy. Uh, but uh, you made me think of um, Ken Sloan, our, one of our coworkers. Yes. And, yes. and I think what you're getting at um, is, is very true and needs to continue to be lifted up that there are those who are motivated by compassion, right? And when they see the church doing acts of compassion, they are motivated to give. And there are others who are motivated by, by challenge and by budget. <laughs> and, and those are much rarer, <laughs> more rare um, than those who are uh, motivated by compassion. And, mm-hmm. and we need not, we need to press both pedals, like if you will, at the same time, simultaneously as the church, and help people to learn the value of generosity mm-hmm. as part of their discipleship, mm-hmm. right? Even in this time, there are ways you can do that. Um, so, so why do I raise that? I raise it because I want to go back to uh, the question of how persons participating in small groups can still be a part of um, what it is that we've been called to do as followers of, of Christ. Uh, it's, a, it's interesting to me that newcomers or even non-members uh, can find ways to plug into the mission of the church. And those of us who are actually a part of the church can't find ways. We have um, good reasons that we can't really do discipleship. We can't really do missions. Um, but Persons who are plugged in, they immediately come in and they see the ways in which the church is plugged into the lives of persons in need. Um, and so it's just a paradox in, in my mind's eye. A paradox in the sense of... In the sense, um, in the sense of newcomers and outsiders being able to see how oh, to do the gospel. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Be yeah, a part yeah, yeah. Of, of discipleship making and... Um, yeah, I think it's inherent within us to want to give. And, and I, I mean, as psychologists, psychiatrists tell us all the time, you know, we're healthiest um, as, as most, all, most all organisms when there's um, a filling and a giving, right? Mm-hmm. That balance. And most of us intuitively grasp that, that mm-hmm. I feel alive. I feel uh, better about myself. Uh, I feel better about the state of the world when I'm a giver. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, and, you know, I, when I was preaching, I know the time I disliked the most in life of the church was talking about giving, um, mm-hmm. but I was viewing it wrong. Right. I mean, it's if I view it more as a matter of discipleship than asking for money for budget. Right. I, it makes a big difference in my mind um, what I'm asking. Right. I'm not asking for you to uh, selfishly pay so that I can have a salary, <laughs> right? I'm asking you to give because um, you're gonna you're gonna be a better disciple when you learn how to give, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? You're going to be 
uh, a better uh, contributor to your small group. When you're someone who's focused on giving, it becomes a, a way of seeing the world, right? As someone who not only receives, but gives and holds those intention and balance, right? We need to be good receivers mm-hmm. and we need to be good givers, right? And, and that, um, that tension, that paradox has to be maintained. And, and you call the name of our good colleague, Ken Sloan, just a moment ago. And I think Ken would remind us and our listeners, uh, as they consider ways uh, to engage um, our m- members who are participating in small group activities, that there's three strings. There are three strings. And, and those strings include our time, mm-hmm. our talents, and our gifts. And mm-hmm. at this time when finances may be tight, there's also time yeah. and there's also talent. Yeah. Uh, there, may be, uh, there may be a way uh, for uh, persons who are knitters uh, to create blankies for babies who are in NICU in hospitals at this space in time when their mothers can't or fathers can't be with them. Or there might be a, a shawl that knitters could create for seniors who are certainly in nebulous um, situations. Yeah for such a time as this. They're just other ways. And especially with small groups. I mean, think about that. They, as, a, as a group, great minds together can create ways that they can speak to the hearts and the minds of the lonely, right? Reading a story to a child uh, for a mother who is so busy trying to take care of twins, you know, and the other three children are needing attention as well. I mean, just there are just a number of things I think a number of ways that we can be in ministry um, other than in the sanctuary, uh, yes. putting a, an offering envelope in play. Um, yeah. yeah. Being with our lives, right? It's, it's, it's not just about, I mean, we're, we're, we live in a capitalist society, so we think economics first. Yeah. Right. When, when giving is about our lives, I know um, uh, Ken and I are doing a webinar tomorrow and 92% of churches uh, as of like two months ago, uh, pass the plate. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to change. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, that will change. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, one of the things I said to him, I said, it'll be really interesting to redo this in a year from now, how many people mm-hmm. are, and maybe that'll be a good thing, right? In terms of how we think about what we're doing, uh-huh. as opposed to just throwing some bucks in an offering plate. How, uh, this is something else Ken has taught me. Yeah. Um, the offering is us in worship. Right. It's not our money. Right. We're the offering. And if I think of myself as that way, it's my time, my talents, not just the 10% of money I give. Mm -hmm. It's the other 90% of what I'm doing with my time, um, with my talents. All of that is stewardship. Mm. Do you think that's what Paul was talking about when he admonishes us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, right? Yeah. But having, you didn't a fragrance, having a fragrance. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. So you, you have, you not only have a long title, but you have lots of folks uh, working on your team, which is why you probably think that it's a better team than mine. But that's neither here nor there. Um, Correct. Just, just one more time, tell us, uh, what the team looks like, and uh, um, you don't have to go into great detail, but I think yeah. every every component in your team is so critical to vital 
congregational uh, existence and particularly worship. So what, what, what does your team look like? Yeah, so we've, we'll start with Ken Sloan, since we've mentioned him by name, right? Just Director of Stewardship and Generosity. That one's pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then David Teal, uh, director, mm-hmm. director of Lay Ministry. Um, so Lay Servant Ministries uh, fall under him. Mm-hmm. Uh, lay Servant, for those who are familiar with that ministry. Uh, annual Conference Lay Leaders, annual, you know, all those fall under him. He does a lot of work. Uh, mm-hmm. with, with lay folks and empowering them to, to find their call and vocation in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Kevin Johnson is our director of children's ministry, and he's relatively new. Rev Kev, as we like to call him. Mm-hmm. Um, he is uh, all about advocating for children's ministries. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Fred Rogers fan, you'll be a Rev Kev fan. Ah. That's, his, that's his idol, his hero. Um, his Zoom background and everything, right? Absolutely. That's, that's, that's blasted all over his wall of Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Chris Wolterdink, uh, our very talented uh, director of youth and young adult ministries. Uh, mm-hmm. He uh, spans a lot. Both uh, his work spans not just um, domestically, but internationally as well. Yeah. Um, from the Department of Young People's Ministry, that was enfolded into his work. So he's got um, a worldwide audience and mm-hmm. does some great work with that. Um, and that's not just like youth um, and youth ministers, but also youth workers, right? So it's it's a lot. Um, and then Alma Perez, she is our director of Hispanic ministries. Um, and so she works with the National Hispanic Plan um, for Latino ministries. She also works with Marsha and um and, and helps churches, you know, churches sometimes have Hispanic ministries, sometimes an Hispanic church meets on their properties, right? That takes lots of different forms, mm-hmm. and she helps to resource for them. Mm-hmm. She's also my Spanish teacher at the moment, so there's there's that, um, <laughs> when we get a chance. Um, and then uh, David Kim, who is our director of Asian American ministries. Um, and so it, that's both um, Korean and um, uh, Pan-Asian Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so from Samoans and those who speak mm-hmm. Tongan and Hmong and uh, those in Cambodia. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed at uh, where the Methodist Church, who the reach is. Yeah. Right. I mean, I was fortunate enough to go on a trip uh, with him, <clears throat> him being David Kim and Taylor Burton Edwards to do some training in Mongolia and to see yeah. that the Methodist Church in Mongolia was such a treat and privilege. So, yeah, our work spans uh, a number of different constituents, um, but it all comes back to how are we helping people be formed in the faith and be intentional about their discipleship, not just individually, but as the church. How are we as the church embodying the community uh, Mm -hmm. that we're called to be? Well, you've just answered my last question, which is going to be worship in the world and the, the global nature of the United Methodist Church. Because so many times we're so focused on the domestic needs uh, that we really don't think about uh, those those uh, siblings that we uh, really stand beside alongside as we continue to usher in the kingdom of God. Uh, so that's that's so exciting. I'm really glad that the, about the global nature of uh, your ministry at the agency, Discipleship Ministries. Um, Scott, it's always a joy to sit with you. I always learn so much when we talk and 
we, we appreciate, I know for sure the audience has appreciated all that you've contributed today to this conversation. Um, and um, we want to remind you that uh, if you have any questions for Scott about any of his uh, ministry around congregational vitality and, uh, and all of the other um, branches of that ministry, you can always go to our website at umcdiscipleship.org. Let me say that again. Our website is at umcdiscipleship.org. You can find more information about any of these topics. Until the next time, we are going to be praying for and with you and your congregations. We pray that God might continue to bless your worship ministry as you continue to make disciples for the transformation of the world. God bless. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.